Hello and welcome to International Outlook, a regular podcast series from the New Zealand Initiative on International Affairs. I'm your host, Ben Craven. Today, we're joined by our Executive Director, Dr. Oliver Hardwich, to discuss his latest newsroom column, Old German Habits Die Slowly. This column was all about Olaf Scholz, the Chancellor of Germany. He proposed a Zeitenwende, um, that is a, a turning point in time, uh, in Germany's response to Russian actions in Ukraine. Schultz proposed uh, a way for Germany to reduce um, reliance on Russian gas imports and also increase funding for the German military. Oliver Olaf Schultz was large on rhetoric in this huge, huge speech. It was a monumental shift in German foreign policy. What was the expectation and has it been met by reality? There were huge expectations after Olaf Scholz's speech in the Bundestag on the 27th of February, just three days after the Russian invasion. Um, unfortunately, we are now 41 days into the war and it becomes obvious that um, Germany is struggling to respond to the new reality in the way that Scholz had envisaged in on the 27th of February. So the speech actually had a number of announcements um, breaking with previous German policy traditions. One was finally to pay for the army in a way that it actually enables them to have airplanes that fly and ships that sail. A novel and idea. <laughs> this is a direct quote, by the way, from Olaf Scholz's speech. Wow. So he said, we want to have um, planes that fly and ships that sail. Well, this is something novel in German defense policy. Mm. Um, the other part of the speech was to finally allow exports of weapons to Ukraine, something the Ukrainian government had asked for for a long time, mm. really um, going back to 2014 at the least. Um, so that was supposed to happen now. And then the final point was to end the dependence on Russian energy supplies, so oil and especially gas in the case of Germany. Now, a bit more than a month later, we see how difficult all of these three issues are. Maybe we'll just take them in turn. If you look at the weapons exports to Ukraine, well, first of all, um, they had asked for it before, as I mentioned. And yeah, they asked for it in in February. On the 3rd of February, the um, Ukrainian embassy in Berlin sent uh, the German government a very long list of things that they would need urgently because, remember, that was a time when 150,000 Russian troops already stood at the border and the Ukrainians desperately tried to get whatever they could. Well, they didn't even get an answer from Berlin. The answer came really only the day before Scholz's speech in the Bundestag on the 26th of February, so on day three of the war. Um, but anyway, at least the Germans promised to send a few anti-aircraft and um, anti-tank missiles, um, some of them actually more than 30 years old, coming from the old um, stock of the East German army. Um, apparently fully functional still, that's <laughs> what they said. Ugh. But yes, exactly. Um, the good thing about that is, at the very least, it is easier for the Ukrainians to use these weapons because they're familiar with them. Of course, As yeah. part of um, the former Soviet Union, they, they know how these things work. And still, the problem was they promised uh, 2,000 um, of one of these missiles and delivered 500. The remaining 1,500, it wasn't quite clear what happened to them. Apparently, it came down to a bureaucratic failure or maybe, this is a speculation, a political unwillingness to supply them quickly. 
because the initial thinking in Berlin seems to have been that this war would be won by Russia within a few days. And so rather than depleting the stocks of the German military, I mean, that's pretty run down anyway, yeah. um, they would just hold off a little bit um, and then deliver later. Em- embarrassing. Very embarrassing. Really embarrassing. Um, so the Ukrainians actually tried to get these weapons um, and uh, didn't know where they were. Um, the whole thing was done in secrecy. Um, the German defense ministry said they couldn't actually inform anyone of um, the whereabouts of these weapons because that would only jeopardize the people trying to transport them. I mean, this is spurious. It is, it is complete nonsense. The problem is also that the war, of course, moved on. So the types of weapons that the Ukrainians needed for their self-defense changed. In, course, the be- yeah. in the beginning, it was anti-tank missiles and anti-aircraft missiles. Okay, fine. They would have been very useful in the first few weeks of the war. Yeah. Now that Russian troops are stuck in parts of Ukraine and they have actually resorted to long-distance shelling, what you need is something completely different. Mm. Or you need anti-ship missiles, yeah. for example, because you want to defend Odessa. So um, these weapons deliveries are difficult. Um, the Ukrainians, in their desperation, then try to find different ways. They said, well, actually, why don't you order new weapons because Germany is the world's, I think, fourth largest weapons manufacturer. Is it really? Wow. Yes. Um, the Germans are probably a little bit embarrassed by that. But anyway, the Ukrainians said, well, why don't you give us stuff from the Bundeswehr and reorder new stuff to stock up um, immediately? Um, that didn't progress much further because of inability in the defense bureaucracy. And then finally, when the Ukrainians got really desperate, they said, well, actually, why don't we just buy the stuff ourselves? turn to German weapons manufacturers and just order. And you know what? That was probably the best idea because that took it away from the defense ministry. Yeah. Because so far the defense ministry was the roadblock. It had to basically allow all these exports, whereas the delivery of new weapons ordered directly from weapons manufacturers has to be approved not by the defense ministry, but by the economics ministry. Right. And there is uh, the minister, Robert Habeck, Green's politician, vice chancellor, by the way, and he approves everything that comes to his desk because he has been um, in favor of weapons deliveries to Ukraine for a long time, going back to last year. Incredible. And so, Robert Habeck, the Green's minister, and his secretary of state, a former campaign manager for the globalization critics attack, remember them? They are approving stuff on weekends, on Saturdays, and they basically approve anything that Ukraine wants. So the, the Greens ministers have a more pro-Ukraine uh, disposition than their Social Democrat colleagues? Absolutely. Um, it is embarrassing to see how Social Democrats work in this crisis. Um, down from the Chancellor, but especially the Defence Minister, Christine Lambrecht, nothing works that goes through the Defence Ministry. The only thing that works is actually what goes through the Economics Ministry, and that is Robert Habeck, a Greens politician. And, of course, Annalena Baerbock as Foreign Secretary, who we talked about in the podcast before last year. She had a terrible campaign last year in the German election. She fabricated her CV. She plagiarized in a book. And I was very critical of Annalena Baerbock back then for all the mistakes that she made. But she has turned out to be a really good German Foreign Secretary. So, remarkably, the two ministers actually now carrying this government and saving its reputation are Greens politicians that didn't have a particularly good campaign last year. Incredible. Now, moving along to Schultz's approach to Russian gas imports, has reality caught up with him there? Has he just found that the Germans are far too reliant? Well, um, it is complicated. It is not a question of just you know 
turning down the temperature a little bit um, and, and put in another extra jumper. Yeah. Um, if that was the case, yeah, okay, the Germans would probably go for that. And the problem is actually much deeper. Gas is a necessary ingredient in a lot of industrial processes. Some processes that you can't easily substitute, not even with electricity, you need gas. And if you take the gas away, then Germany, in some calculations, is looking at a recession of maybe 6 or 7%. Wow. So this is the kind of GFC recession, probably stronger than the COVID recession Germany had. It would be a massive nightmare. And unfortunately, because Germany is so dependent on gas, it could lead to effects that you would typically see in long blackouts, you know, power failures. Nobody wants to risk that. So they're trying to get away from gas, they, they see the need to do this for geopolitical reasons. And frankly, I think they're also embarrassed by it. But they can't find a way to do this quickly because to get gas into Germany, you need the infrastructure. There are no pipelines. There are no LNG terminals. What they're trying to do now, and again, this is Robert Habeck's idea, they're trying to have LNG terminals not onshore but offshore because that's easier to develop and easier to um, <coughs> consent. Right. So this seems to be one of the ways in which they're trying to do it. Oh, actually, Robert Habeck is doing another thing. The Russians, in their fight for the conditions of the deliveries of gas to Germany, they've actually told the West now that they want to be paid in rubles. I saw that, yes. Yeah. Um, the Germans, of course, don't want to do that. They insist on the old contracts. The old contracts um, prescribe payments in euros and US dollars. Well, um, as a counterattack on the German stance, Putin has decided to basically split off the German part of Gazprom from the mother company. And it seemed to be a trick because the, po the point was actually to transfer ownership of the German part of Gazprom to some unknown Russian strawman. So the idea was to take it out of the Gazprom empire and then drive it into insolvency. Because once the company is insolvent, it would give it a right to renegotiate its contracts. Right. So that was the Very idea. Sneaky. But here comes Robert Habeck. And again, an, an, I would say ingenious economics minister. He no noticed that for parts of critical infrastructure, if there is a change of ownership, the companies are required to notify the German government under their foreign direct investment rules. Right. Well, they didn't. And he basically confiscated the company. Really? So he, well, not... Not, not in a technical sense confiscated, but he put it under management from the German network agency for a period of six months. So that means this company cannot do anything without the approval of the German network agency, which is under Robert Habeck. So they couldn't drive it into insolvency now. They, no. co they couldn't do anything, actually. The, the, the fear in the German government was if we allow these, this company to go into insolvency, they're going to renegotiate the contracts, we might have to pay the Russians even more for their gas supplies, we might have to do it in rubles, and by the way, there's an additional complication. The infrastructure actually for gas storage in Germany is also Russian-owned. And so if the Russians had continued access and control over this infrastructure, then actually any kind of deviation from the previous gas dependence on, on Russia um, simply would be impossible. That's incredible. So they, they, it's not just the immediate supply, but also the storage as well. Yes, unfortunately, that is a problem. And the storage transfer, the, the, the storage facility transfer um, to the Russians actually happened after the Crimea. No. So How short-sighted could they be? Germany ha has been incredibly naive and careless in all of this. I think it is really time for the German equivalent of a royal commission. 
it, it really requires a proper investigation what went wrong there and who was responsible for that. I mean, a few names come to mind. Um, obviously, Angela Merkel, Chancellor over 16 years, mm. but also her um, long-serving foreign secretary, um, Frank-Walter Steinmeier, now the president. There are a number of politicians who have a lot of questions to answer. That brings me to my next question. So aside from the German equivalent of a Royal Commission of Inquiry, what else should the administration be doing to counteract Putin? <laughs> well, I think the only language that Putin still understands is pressure and, and money. So the Germans have to face out in some ways, and they have to do this quickly, because if they wait too long, then Ukraine will be burned. I mean, you look at the state of Ukraine now, you look at the war crimes, you look at um, Ucha, it is absolutely horrific. The Russians are leaving basically burnt soil behind. And if um, the West gives Putin a little bit more time, he will complete the job. And then it will be the next country. Yeah. So he has to be stopped now. They don't have the time to phase out gas over the next two or three years because by that time it will be too late. That's right. So what they have to do now is they have to do something much more urgently. Phasing out gas urgently is difficult. Phasing out oil is possible. Yeah. Yes, it's painful, but it's the kind of pain that you have to take. Yeah. And I think the Germans, alongside other Western Europeans, have to basically now announce a uh, boycott on Russian oil. Much easier to do, and it will really hurt Putin. Right. Putin's insistence on um, getting, getting energy payments in uh, rubles is obviously there to prop up uh, yeah. his, his failing currency, right? Sure. And if you look at uh, the exchange rate of the ruble, that's working. Yeah. So the ruble has recovered. Um, the stock exchange in Moscow has recovered. If you look at the ruble exchange rate and the Moscow stock exchange, it doesn't look like a big crisis anymore. I mean, they had a massive correction, of course, um, in late February. That's when trading was suspended for a long time. Mm. But um, they have recovered quite a lot of the losses because markets realize that the sanctions of the West are not strong enough. Yeah. Okay. So does that mean um, if, if Germany is going to phase out its reliance on, on Russian gas and that the West should have a, a, a ban on Russian oil imports, uh, that's going to have terrible effects on the German economy, won't it? Yes, it probably will. Depends on, of course, how quickly this happens. And it also depends on Putin himself. Yeah. So if the Germans can't get themselves to actually switch off the gas supply, maybe Putin will do it just as another weapon in his war against the West. But exactly. then again, I wouldn't, okay, I could be totally wrong again, but I wouldn't expect Putin to do this now because Germany is getting into spring, summer. I mean, if he wanted to have maximum impact on Germany, he would cut off the gas supply in winter. That's right. But then again, Absolutely. the Germans will be trying now to fill the uh, gas storage facilities before the winter comes. Right, so the German response has been quite muted, quite subdued compared to uh, some other European countries, especially the UK. Is Germany an outlier within the EU and the broader European community? I think it is. I think at least half of Europe will be looking at Germany wondering what on earth is going on there. Yeah. First you deliver that kind of speech in the Bundestag and say this is a turning of the times and then you basically sit on your hands and do nothing. And you actually slow down the process of weapons deliveries, you slow down your energy transition, um, you, you lecture the others on not doing too much, you're still trying to keep um, talking to Putin, and what are you achieving with that? And how reliable are you? It's rhetoric direction. Yes, so the um, Polish Deputy Prime Minister Kaczynski, um, quite a populist politician, of course, uh, was interviewed by a German um, weekend newspaper just last weekend, 
And he actually said that nobody understands the Germans anymore. And uh, they are unreliable. They're too close to, to Moscow. And unfortunately, that is the position in, in which the German government has not put the country. Hopefully things change in the near future. Well, they have to. And I think the more we see pictures like the ones from Butcher, um, the more the debate will change. I think there, there is now, I think, a new sense of urgency, even in Germany, that it simply cannot go on like that. Yeah, I think the public will force it upon the politicians. Yes. All right, Dr. Oliver Hardwich, thanks so much for joining International Outlook. Uh, we look forward to regular updates on all things Europe in the future. Thank you. To stay up to date with our latest research, opinions and events, sign up to our weekly insights newsletter at nzinitiative.org.nz.